I'm Rachel Cassandra. Welcome to Midday Magazine for Monday, January 9th. The recent cold snap in Petersburg damaged some boats in the borough's harbors. Harbormaster Glorianne Wallen talked with KFSK's Jordan Lewis about the impact of the cold weather and some upcoming harbor projects. Well, the cold snap, you know, we have a history of having issues. Back in the old days, we would be real concerned about the temperature as it goes down. People come down and they turn their oil stoves warmer and hotter and up, up, up. And then when the, finally the cold snap will break and get warm, then all of that fuel going to the the pot in the oil stove we used to have a lot of fires now we don't have so much because we have so much we have such a good energy source the the electric hookups are so much better than they used to be people have invested in heaters so we don't have near the problem with with boat fires that we used to used to be a big thing but that in turn we still have a lot of issue when we have a cold snap where it's a fairly prolonged, maybe a week, 10 days, two weeks, like we'd had here this year, when things start to warm up, that's when you notice issues in the harbor. We have things like our water pedestals all have heat trace on them. But every once in a while, we have, you know, quite a few, we have about 100 water pedestals. And if you miss one or one heat uh, trace isn't working, when it starts to thaw, that's when you'll have the flood of water from a crack or or something like that. This year, it happened that the warming trend started really getting some energy behind it Christmas Eve. And so kind of all hell broke loose on Christmas Eve for about four boats. We caught in the matter of about 18 hours uh, four potential major catastrophes that if we hadn't caught them, if the boat owner hadn't caught them, if a neighbor hadn't heard an alarm, those kind of things, it could have been, you know, we could have lost a boat. Okay. And then would you say that it's gotten, like, better or worse over the years, or has it been kind of a consistent, like, these are always some of the issues, then they've kind of always been this level of difficult? It's very consistent, like I talked about a little bit earlier. The difference with the lack of, or, or the difference between not having oil stoves in the harbor has probably been our biggest improvement over the years. I remember as a kid there there being a lot of issues with stoves. People would leave their stoves going to, you know, give the boat some heat through the cold snaps. And uh, when the temperature rises, a lot of times it's, you know, in the, at night or early in the morning and the boat owner doesn't de- get down there and pretty soon they have a runaway stove. And um, that that was really a scare. We don't have that near as much, knock on wood, um, these days. And so that's been a big improvement. But we still have plenty of issues with the cold. Okay. And then what are some of the things that are coming up for the harbor? Like what are some things that you're going to be doing here relatively soon our big uh, project of course everybody knows is this dredge um, of the south harbor basin and the contractor got back this week and i think they'll probably have the uh, equipment in the water starting today um and so we will just that that progress it's it's not a sexy project because nobody can really see the improvement but we'll sure feel it 
next summer when the boats can traffic in and out of the South Harbor, in and out of their stalls without worrying about the the bottom anymore. So I'm. Uh, that's kind of been our whole focus right now is supporting the contractor to get that project done. We need to mo- move boats periodically so that they can anchor their barge in a specific location, as well as cleaning out the um, individual stalls. They're going to um, dig down to, at a zero tide, we'll have 19.25. Originally, that basin was put in at a minus 18. So everybody will realize a little bit of benefit, but certainly uh, the bigger boats coming in and out of the harbor will notice uh, that they can do it at any stage of the tide, which um, will be a nice... uh, a nice feeling next uh, summer when we have those minus four tides and we got a boat full of fish that's trying to get over to unload um, and uh, it, uh, it, it currently they have to sit and wait for the tide to come in in order to float over the high spot so that'll be a big improvement okay and is it only the dredging that's a big thing coming up or is there anything else coming up We've got some smaller projects, but by and large, that dredge is our big one. We're looking at, um, you know, trying to um, campaign for uh, an additional harbor out in the Scow Bay area. So that politicking will occur, um, moving forward on some of the design work on that, looking for grants, just kind of trying to move that project forward is a big one. That was Harbor Master Glorianne Wallen speaking with KFSK's Jordan Lewis about recent harbor projects. Staff are in short supply at the Sitka Police Department, and few have applied for a number of vacant positions. Right now, there are close to a dozen vacancies. According to a report presented to the Sitka Assembly in late December, the department is recruiting openly for a handful of jailers, patrol officers, and dispatcher posts. And the animal control officer job has been open since mid-July with no applicants. Police Chief Robert Beatty says they started experiencing a new wave of turnover about 11 months ago. And he says the job vacancy issue isn't unique to Sitka. It's for pretty much all jobs within within Sitka, as well as uh, nationally and and even internationally. I I just recently attended a... uh, International Association Chiefs Police Conference, and and those were some main topics we were talking about is the retention and the lack of applicants that that we are receiving. So definitely seen it as a a national issue. But what that means for Sitka is it's taken longer to fulfill the positions that we are having openings for. Beatty says the department has shifted responsibilities of some staff to compensate for the vacancies and has assigned off-duty police officers to fill in as jailers and dispatchers. One thing to note is even though this has been built up in how it's progressed is that we've been able to you know, provide full services to the community by having other personnel fill in, whether it's our MSO or officers providing dispatch services or jail services. So it's been pretty seamless for the public to, you know, not be impacted. Beatty is optimistic that they'll fill the vacancies. He says they're working with a group of officers and the city's human resources department 
to update their local advertising and recruitment efforts. The SICA Assembly also approved an 8% pay bump for officers in October, with more to come in future years. And that's shown some success, though perhaps not as much as officials have hoped. They're currently training a new dispatcher and have received a couple of applications for those positions. And after an eight-month search, the city hired an IT specialist for the department in November. Alaska's population increased just slightly into last year, despite a decade of more people leaving the state than moving into it, and higher deaths during the COVID pandemic. The state released the new population estimates last Thursday. The data covers a year-long stretch from July 2021 to July of last year. During that time, Alaska's total population increased by just 451 people. David Howell, the state demographer, says that although more people still left the state, the more than 44,000 new arrivals were a bright spot. So we actually had our largest number of in-migrants uh, to the state since the 2012 to 2013 period uh, between 2021 and 2022. Another good sign, the difference between the number of people moving out versus moving in has also shrunk in recent years. Meanwhile, deaths in Alaska remain high due to COVID, with 6,400 deaths reported statewide, nearly 40% more than two years ago. Alaska's population also grades slightly, with the share of Alaskans 65 and older increasing by 5%. As for the region with the highest median age, that's the Huna Angoon area in southeast at about 49 years old. The youngest is the Kuzelvak census area in western Alaska with a median age of about 24. Howell says overall it's too soon to tell whether the state has bounced back from the throes of the pandemic. We're clearly seeing some pent-up demand for moves both for Alaska and nationwide. Domestic migration is up quite a bit. But it's hard to, well, impossible to say really that if these trends will continue. The Matsu Borough was the state's fastest-growing region with a population rise of 2.4%. Ketchikan's Borough Assembly has pledged to give the local school district a reprieve after earlier threatening to bill the school district directly for health care expenses. It's the latest development in an ongoing dispute between Ketchikan's Borough and school district over health care payments. Premiums paid by the district and its employees have not kept up with the cost of health care, to the tune of more than $5.2 million as of the end of December. The borough, which administers the district's self-insurance program, had previously threatened to stop cutting checks for school district employees' health care costs at the start of this year. But as KRBD's Eric Stone reports, Ketchikan's Borough Assembly is backing off that threat for now on four conditions. Ketchikan's school district must minimize the growth of its health care debt for the rest of this school year and stop the debt from growing by the start of next fiscal year in July. And it has to come up with a multi-year plan to repay the debt and agree to face consequences if it doesn't. Those are the four conditions of an agreement reached between borough and school district officials. Borough Assembly member Grant Echohawk applauded the agreement. He said it would address the problem and prevent it from happening again. I'm confident that my colleagues here at this table and also on this on the at at the school um on the school board are all very concerned about this uh and not only do is does this agreement help us get a solid footing to move us forward but there's there's continued communication built into it
School district officials had warned that if the borough stopped paying for health care expenses on January 1st as planned, they would be forced to make immediate cuts to athletics, tutoring, and other programs. And even that likely wouldn't be enough, they said last month. Borough officials are concerned about the spiraling costs of health care for teachers and staff, saying last month the school district's accumulating debt was threatening the overall financial health of the borough. Assemblymember Jeremy Bynum supported the agreement, though he said he wasn't sure how enforceable it would be if the school district continued to lag on health care payments in the next fiscal year. I think it has some pretty good language in it to address a lot of the concerns that we have. I believe this is a um, truly a leap of faith, if we could use those words, in the sense that this is only a memorandum of agreement. I would question the legality of how binding it actually is. He added language to the agreement aimed at preventing the school district from asking for more money for operations outside the usual budget process. That passed 5-1 to one over an objection from Echo Hawk, who argued it was unnecessary. The agreement itself passed unanimously. That was one of three assembly votes aimed at alleviating the health care budget crisis. In another, the assembly voted to increase the school district's budget by about $700,000 to pay down some of the health care debt, as Mayor Rodney Dial explained. What we're talking about tonight is money that's actually already been spent by the district. So what the assembly's talking about is essentially um, forgiving some of that debt. So it's not like we're adding an expense. That also passed unanimously. But the third proposal, which would allow the borough to spend an additional $1.9 million to keep up with the district's health expenses, faced opposition from the mayor. Borough attorney Glenn Brown explained that the measure was necessary to ensure the borough didn't spend money it wasn't legally allowed to. This ordinance is to keep the borough safe because the loss of reserves from the the district's underfunding of its health fund is endangering the The parent organization, in essence, we need to appropriate more money so that the borough doesn't violate the law. Assembly members unanimously approved the appropriation in the first of two votes on the measure. But Dial said he planned to veto it later this month unless the school district provided a detailed budget to the assembly. He accused the district of dramatically underfunding its health insurance program against the advice of its insurance broker. If I can't see your budget the detailed budget, then I can't verify that you're accurately reporting your finances. If I can't verify, I can't approve. That's my responsibility as mayor to this community. If the district has nothing to hide, then they have everything to gain from transparency and working with the borough. He accused the district of stonewalling borough officials' request for a line-item budget detailing exactly what the district spends its money on. He said appropriating the money could leave the borough unable to weather emergencies like the resurgence of the COVID-19 pandemic or an economic downturn. He suggested modifying the measure to require the district to cut spending. He said that would put the district on a path to repaying the debt. The $1.9 million appropriation is scheduled to come back to the Assembly later this month for a final vote. If Dial vetoes the measure at that point, a five-member supermajority could override the veto at the following meeting. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. And for KFSK, I'm Rachel Cassandra.